So uh, welcome everyone. Uh, this is a, a talk that's not in the series, um, but we will have a discussion next week upon the topic and upon the homework. So um, it is one that I would like you to carry forth into the week if at all possible. And I call this talk um, Taking Full Responsibility. It's one of those words that from time to time will catch us, at least they do me, and you begin to, um, just a, suddenly a word resonates dharmically in some way uh, that uh, you sort of can fold the whole dharma into this. And that's what happened with the word responsibility. I just started thinking about it and started working with it. And in fact, I went to the dictionary and looked it up and I thought it was a interesting uh, definition. It says, involving personal accountability to act without guidance or higher authority. The summation of the Dharma, in fact. Involving personal accountability to act without guidance or higher authority. So we're on our own. But we have to be personally accountable. We have to be accountable to the person. Which is an interesting way to look at it dharmically as well. I remember uh, years and years ago I was with Ruth Dennison who um, is an elder in the Vipassana tradition. In fact, she has her 80th birthday this year. Uh, And she also has a very heavy German accent. And somebody asked her once if she could sum up the Dharma. And she said, darling. She said, the Dharma means you can't get away with anything. Can't get away with anything. And that's uh, really the pull of the word responsibility for me, is that we can't get away with anything. And yet we certainly try. <laughs> so taking responsibility. And, and I'll use it in different ways tonight, different perceptions, different intentions of it. But one of the ways I'd like us to think about it is facing our self-deception. Some of you were probably involved in the series I did uh, some time ago. Uh, in which we talked about the different illusions, the different forms our ignorance takes. Very willful ignorance, the Buddha said. These are not um, unconscious ignorances. They are established resistances to reality in which we take a particular view upon reality that is not in accordance with the truth of how that reality is. And we assert our righteous way despite whatever the truth may bring we don't care it's our way or no way and to begin to see that what we begin to do is to own the way and stop asserting our way upon the truth is really what taking responsibility means and yet taking responsibility is nothing more when said like this then relinquishing our objections to reality as it exists. And how do you know you're objecting? We know we're objecting 
because we're existing because our existence is the confirmation of our objecting to it so if you have any doubt (laughs) so being accountable being responsible I remember um, I was a monk for several years and as a monk everyone does some everything you need is done for you really Uh, food is given to you and uh, your life is bathed in a lot of leisure time deliberately so that supposedly the monk has time to work in an investigative way to look at some of the areas of life that bypass us and bypass most of us however when I left being a monk I found it enormously difficult to start re-engaging or and it sounds a little bit I found it very difficult to start having to do things for myself (laughs) Uh, and that's not there was a kind of way that inertia had brought a sense of um, just apathy I just didn't really um, care about uh, some of the things that I was supposed to now be working with and one of the things I had to do was to re-engage in a job and uh, earn a living because I had no money and it was so difficult it was like I was giving it was the, the, some of the deepest sense of mourning and grief I had in my whole life was in that transition period when I had to give up the forest when I had to reassert my actions reassert my influence reassert my working in a particular direction when I had for so many years not done that essentially eight years I hadn't done that at all and I I I think that what it was was a very important aspect of the Dharma unfolding in me and also my whole deepening of understanding because what I really had to do was to start being accountable and responsible for myself and not having people just serve me all the time and it's very difficult to change levels of responsibility it's much easier in fact for most of us to have greater responsibility than to go from greater responsibility to less responsibility because with responsibility we often have a sense of empowerment of importance self-importance and when that responsibility is taken away from us either through our own actions or others we feel the loss of that empowerment we feel the loss of our role and we feel somehow disoriented and confused from that occurring the example that comes immediately to mind for me is when I see people who are dying who have been parental figures their whole life to their children and suddenly in their dying they have lost the ability to take care of themselves and their children are then their caregivers I find that those people often have the most difficult time allowing their children to parent them 
in the last phases of their own life. Because the role shift, the difference between how they have claimed or laid claim to their work and activities in relationship to other people suddenly shift. And now they're the receiver of those same benefits and they can't or often can't make that adjustment without a great deal of turmoil. But shifting responsibilities occur throughout our life. Certainly as we grow older, we are able to do less than we used to be able to do. And unless we have a real sense of what responsibility means and not just our ability to accomplish an action, then we're going to find it difficult to age or to have any sense of ourselves whittled away over time. I don't know about you, but responsibility for me has a very parental overtone to it. And this feels like a burden. I have to be responsible. You know, I'm supposed to be responsible. What does that mean? Usually it meant babysitting or something. And the uh, older chi- old child syndrome is that the older child is often given that chore, whereas the younger children in a family can have more freedom in not being responsible so quickly. And yet there's a... If we know older children, or perhaps many of you are older children in a family, there's a way that that maturation has occurred through, and often through, that sense of responsibility early on. And so there's a way that responsibility can mature us and can season us. But many of us um, are oriented to try to avoid it. And some of us have um, a fear of it. Uh, am, I doing, am I doing enough? Am, am I being responsible enough? The sense of enough is whenever you hear enough in your mind, it probably comes from self-doubt. So if you hear the word, am I doing enough? Am I, being, am I good enough? Am I enough? Something dot, 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 enough. I would look for self-doubt in yourself. And this self-doubting really is the the equivocating of being able to take responsibility, to be able to hold myself accountable without guidance or higher authority, said the quote. I I once did a retreat with Ajahn Sumedho a number of years ago and Uh, It was a cloud mountain, and he's a very um, revered and elder monk uh, of the Ajahn Chah tradition. In fact, he's in his mid-60s now, I think. Been a monk uh, since he was 20, 40 years. Uh, And who was at the monastery, who was at the uh, retreat with him, were a bunch of people who at one point had either been nuns or had been people lay people who had attended the monastery uh, for a number of months or years in different locations throughout the world. And so in front of him, except myself, there were people who were very familiar with the monastic tradition and very tied to that monastic tradition in one way or another. And at the end of the retreat, 
um, and we were all lay people except for Ajahn Sumedho, at the end of that retreat, uh, there was a kind of, of um, mourning, I felt, that the people in the retreat felt as if they weren't really doing the meditation as deeply and as sincerely as they wished that they would do it or could do it if they were monks or nuns within the monastery. And they felt somehow that being a lay person was remiss or a second-class spiritual journey compared to what they had done previously in the monastery, which was to be more involved and intensely involved um, in the monastic tradition. And I thought, what a shame here. Here's a group of people who have chosen to be lay people and are giving away their own authority because they have chosen to be lay people and not be in a monastery. And they're feeling, they're straddling the fence with 60% of their weight wishing that they were monks or nuns and the other 40% begrudging the fact they're lay people, which is something they've chosen, instead of being 100% what they were. And just saying, this is it. This is what I am. This is what I'm doing. And I thought there there's a kind of lack of responsibility there to be accountable. Okay, this is what I've chosen or what circumstances have provided. There's nothing I can do about it now. This is it. There's no, this is it. This is the situation in this moment that I am. And if we are just to acknowledge that, if we are just to completely settle with that fact 100%, which is what I mean by being responsible, without the wavering, then whatever we choose would work for us 100%. It's through the commitment, that 100% willingness to commit, that the Dharma works. It's not through the hedging. The hedging is what we all have been doing for most of our life. Well, maybe I'll do a little bit of sitting today. Oh, no, I don't feel like I'll... Maybe I should... Oh, I don't know if I'll do the retreat or the non-residential or the day longer I don't know if I'll come to Monday I don't if we do fine do it 100% but if you don't fine do that 100% and I think the responsibility for me holds that tone of 100% commitment because if we're not it's the breeding ground of self-doubt it's the breeding ground of doubt because we're wavering oh I don't know if I should do this and I don't you know that's the problem but that's what's driving the ambivalence that's what's driving the non-commitment we don't even see that it would be okay if we saw that 100% (laughs) so let me be 100% doubtful (laughs) instead it's the thing that's kind of uh, the whining the whiner (laughs) so really what I'm suggesting in our talk tonight in responsibility is this total accountability total accountability for ourselves the problem is that we we don't have a lot of of center we don't have a we don't have a lot we don't have a a ridge pole that we can tether ourselves to. I, I was at IMS. This is a true story. I was up in the 
staying up in this uh, room where they put the um, senior teachers. I was sitting there at the desk in this room and I was the only one in the room. Retreat of about 100 people. And they have this beautiful um, picture framed of a Chinese elder somebody I don't know he's in robes it's just a beautiful picture I was sitting there looking at it admiring it and it fell off its hook (laughs) see I know that's what I was thinking nobody's going to believe this it fell off it fell from the wall I was back away from it I wasn't breathing on it blowing on it it fell off the wall right down to the floor and it broke its frame and I thought Nobody's going to believe that I did nothing to do this. <laughs> so then I, thought, I, I spent an hour trying to come up with some way that people would plausibly understand what happened just so I could then be accountable to this disaster. But I wasn't accountable at all. It was not my fault. <laughs> but nobody would believe it. <laughs> See, you didn't. <laughs> and, okay, so there I was. I was just, I said, to hell with it. I didn't do anything. So I went down to the office, and, and they were very kind. And, and it was saying, But when I told them the story, nobody believed me. <laughs> but I, I told them what was... <laughs> but the doubt that came in, in all of those storytellings, and all of that way I was recounting that, I mean, I was just, I was just thrown back, even though... In terms of integrity, I knew that nothing, I had, had done anything. Still, it was, I was thrown back on this doubt because the explanation was so weak. <laughs> My, and one of, the, of course, I went. Through, I mean, I'll blame it on somebody. I'll blame it. You know, I'll, I'll, it was the yogi who cleaned my room, or I don't know what. You know, that's. Those thoughts come through when the responsibility, when the, when the seal, when the, when the ethical quality, the moral quality is wavering. You know, it's like, let me, look, let me get out of this. Because that's what I did when I was young. There was a, we were five kids and, you know, the way my mother dealt with things was line us up and ask us who did what. And everybody would deny it. And I didn't do it, so I deny it too. And it would end up, you know, my mother not believing any of us because we had all denied it and somebody did it. So I had this guilt just by association and that has carried itself into my adult world. And it's interesting because if you have had that kind of upbringing where your the gray area of your lies have been then it's going to find its path into your adult expression of responsibility. In fact, however it is that we hold this word responsibility and whatever our history has been in terms of avoiding it or denying it or doubting it, oh, I can't do this, I'm not up to this task, that's what's going to happen when we're faced with the total commitment of being fully responsible in the Dharma. I'm not up to this. I can't do it. And much of the Dharma is just balancing the weight of that conditioning. 
just getting over the weight of that conditioning. It's not a small thing. Well, I remember another, I mean, when this picture fell, I remember the other strategy I had was I'll just ignore it that it happened. I just won't tell anybody. I'll just pretend that I didn't know it happened. It happened when I was out of the room. And so often, don't we? We look away, don't we? We just look away. We know something is off or something isn't quite right. Instead of looking at it and addressing it or claiming it or addressing it straight forward, we just look away. I'll just pretend it didn't happen. I think that, um, you know, ethics and seal, you can feel the implications of looking away, you know, just of what you don't say. It's another form of looking away. What you don't say. What isn't said. What is left unsaid. Not finishing it. Not being complete. Or passing over someone's unethical behavior. And so being responsible for me, to me, is not, not being willing to look away. Holding myself accountable to what I see, to what I know. In fact... The word responsibility can be summed up by saying doing what you know. It's important, I think, to understand that we are the embodiment of the teaching. The teaching isn't something that we are learning to do. We are the embodiment of the teaching of the truth itself. And what we have to do because of that fact, there's a resonance in us with the truth. Our heart resonates with the truth. When you hear something that's true, you, that feeling of resonance is because that truth is, we're the embodiment of it. And so, in the embodiment of truth, as we went through this fall, or this winter and spring, in terms of seal or ethical behavior, the reason why unethical behavior doesn't feel right and ethical behavior does is because it's the embodiment of truth. Ethical behavior or behavior that is in accordance with connectedness and bringing things together which is what we embody is true. And you just feel it and you know it in yourself. You know when you're lying and you know when you're telling the truth. You know this and you know that. And if it's just surrendering to that internal resonance. And stop complaining or whining about it, really. Or stop trying to distort it or stop trying to pretend. And if we find ourselves out of resonance, then let us be fully accountable and responsible to that fact. I cheat on my income tax. I do it. That's it. Okay, now. That's it. All right. 
I lie about how much money I got back from. I mean, there's every number of things. Okay, if we find ourselves in that awkward predicament where we're doing something that we know is an illegitimate representation of our inward resonance, then if we aren't strong enough, if we're not responsible enough to own to that fact, then let us not rationalize away the message because we can get very used to doing that. We can get very used to covering over the message of our resonance with rationalization and excuses. This, in fact, is really what we're doing in all of Dharma, is finding our way back to that resonance. But what we've lost that resonance through blame, through irresponsibility, through shunting the responsibility to others, and we just face the deception. Okay, facing the deception. All right. I said that. I lied. I cheated on the income tax. I, I did this or that. It was like that story I told you of the person who called me from Idaho who said he had one secret before he died and he only had a few weeks to, to live and he just calls me out of the blue and he says he, there's only one thing that's keeping him from feeling that God will allow him, these are his words, God will allow him into heaven when he dies is the fact that he was an adulterer. So he's telling me that on the phone and I'm just thinking, well, just just hold that. Feel the pain of that and just hold it. I'm not saying this to him because he's not able to hear it, but, but that's what I would say to us in this room because we do have a perception of how that obscuration of mind can bring us to more resonance. Okay, so I've, I've committed this fact, act. Now let me just hold that. Let me hold my unforgiveness. Let me hold what I did. Let me hold my guilt. Let me hold all of the ways that I tried to pretend that I didn't do this thing. Let me just hold the fact that I did it. I said it. I created pain. I did whatever I did. Let me just hold that now. Let me just hold it. It doesn't feel good. It feels terrible. That's part of the whiplash of having acted counter to connection. Okay, so that's it. Now I feel it. And when I'm totally committed to feeling that, then the whole thing begins to move again. As long as I'm blaming, as long as I'm shifting or shunting the responsibility away from myself, Nothing can move. Everything is frozen. But the whole Dharma is the Dharma of movement. It's the Dharma of change. To get it thawing again, all I have to do is open up to whatever it is that is the problem. Whatever it is is the pain because the pain is what locks it into that frozen, isolated, and obscure state. And my awareness, our awareness, begins to allow that to thaw again. And that's the, the point of, of, the, of the... We look at our lives and we're just honest about them. We're just honest about them. Joseph Goldstein used to say, and I loved him for saying it, he said, if I had a, a, a screen behind me and I could cast my mind 
on that screen and the people who were coming to the retreat could look up and see that screen as they entered the retreat nobody would come to the retreat (laughs) I'm not sitting with that guy what's true for all of us it's true for all of us and in that sense of humility responsibility really is a sense of humility okay there's nothing special here in any of us here there's nothing special we all have this it's not about us it's about that resonance of truth that's what's special it is that that is the guide now if we at any time we take a stand upon that at any time that we cash in our chips and say okay now I'm going to have a role of being a teacher in which my specialness because I've now been able to face myself a little bit now I'll just cash it all in we can do that anytime we want you can do it with your next door neighbor it's not very fulfilling because the heart still burns that's the problem is it still is a, it's an alive ember you know and every time we cash out of that live ember we dose it with a little bit of water and we smell the smoke of it in the background until we come back in and start fanning the flames again and getting it burning again and then we're off and running and so there's never a mistake in practice if we're willing to own the mistake in fact people have talked about taking a step and then falling flat on their face and standing back up taking another step or two and then falling flat on our face and at that rate you progress at the rate of one step and one body length (laughs) which is a lot further along you would have been if you'd just taken your little mini steps (laughs) so falling flat on our face is actually and just owning wow that was ridiculous why did I say that what did I do that for I do it every day all day long I can't believe I said that I can't believe I I can't oh my but you got to watch it you know you, it's not an echo chamber where it keeps haunting us you know like I can't believe why did I say that oh my god I uh, it's not like that it goes endlessly it's once I can't believe I said that period end end of it feel the pain and drop it that's okay it's okay you don't push it away it's just that it doesn't go anywhere it's just an echo okay I can't believe I said that. Uh, well, quiet again. <laughs> but we can't do that if we look away. It's not about looking away. It's owning it. Okay, here we go. Why'd you do that? What? Let's talk about what just went on there. Doing what we know. Doing what we know is not should. Shoulding. Shoulding ourselves shoulding I should have done that I knew it and I should have done that now that's the other way see that's just more doubt guilt shame you can feel it can't you you can feel which way we're going on this thing we're not going to the echo, uh, echo chamber we're coming out of it we're coming out into the space into the light okay I did that okay it's not I did that and it'll you know it's you feel the remorse but it doesn't uh, land doesn't land because it's it's not landable doesn't have anything to fix it's not like 
I've got boils on my body now because I, I, you know, it's, it doesn't land anywhere. And the true heart learns from it. So you do it and then you learn from it. You don't do it and then dismiss it or whitewash it and say it never happened. Or, so what? I did it, so what? No, you do it. You feel the pain. You feel your own pain. You learn. Next year I won't cheat my taxes. It hurts too much, okay? Next year I won't, uh, whatever. Okay, so... And so, essentially what we have to do to be responsible is to face our torment. It always comes down to that. Facing our torment. But, you know, many of us take responsibility for the wrong things. I mean, we have to know what we can control and what we can't. The influence, the limit of our influence and we'll be sitting and we'll have a terrible sitting where our mind just has not been able to find the breath and we get up and we take responsibility. Well, what's the matter with me? What's, what's going on? That's the wrong thing. Or the mood I'm in. It's the wrong thing. That, it's like the weather. It's, why? You can't own it. It's, so part of taking responsibility is seeing the limits of our influence, the limits of our control. And allowing whatever is there to be there without the sense of this being I, me, or mine. So the limit of our influence. I mean, we torture ourselves with the moods we're in and how we hold ourselves in such disrepute because of the attitudes we carry it's not what, the attitude means nothing the awareness of those states of mind mean everything those attitudes will drive the body your job is the awareness of them the awareness of them is only responsibility we have and therefore one of the greatest responsibilities we have in Dharma practice is to remember is to remember Because what we're doing is recovering our life. And so it's our responsibility to recover our life. No higher authority or guidance will come about taking responsibility for our aliveness. No one, no one can do that. The Buddha did it for himself. He didn't do it for me. I have to do it for myself and you have to do it for yourself. So taking responsibility in that sense is remembering. Remembering. And the more you remember, the more you condition remembering into your life. The more you exert the muscle of remembering, the more in the future you will remember. And you're sitting there and you're following the breath your mind leads. It's not your responsibility. It's not your fault that the mind leads. The mind leads on its own. Did you ask it to leave? You say, I think I'll think. Well, maybe you did. 
which is your responsibility. But most of us don't. We try to stay on the breath and then it's just not there anymore. And this will happen, I don't care how many years you practice. So if you think you're going to come to a point when your mind's never going to leave your breath, well, so what? So you have a mind that never leaves your breath. I don't know what that would do for you. <laughs> but we take it on as a task. It's like this is what I'm, this is what it's meant to do. This is what I'm meant to do. This is what the practice does. That's what, not what the practice does. Now you want me to tell you what the practice does? <laughs> The practice is about understanding how the mind operates. Oh, I see. I can't leave the breath. It's not that it's supposed to always be on the breath in order for it to be good practice, but that we learn about the nature of the mind through watching it leave the breath as well as how we bring it back and well as how it moves. So now we're getting into the more subtle aspects of taking responsibility. Ultimately, Taking responsibility means not moving from anything. Now, um, Joseph talked about non-clinging, and I appreciated that a lot, non-clinging. And afterwards, I I said, you know, you say non-clinging. What I usually use is stillness. I use the concepts of stillness. And I found a passage in which the Buddha used both clinging and stillness. And I want to read that to you. Because it brings those two together. And many people have asked me since Joseph's talk, how come I don't speak about non-clinging? I speak about non-clinging every time I say stillness or non-movement. So just listen to this. You see, different teachers, different styles, different points of emphasis. That's why I like to bring other teachers through the area so that you can hear other aspects of the Dharma, other ways of listening to it, not so that it will confuse you about what I'm saying, So just listen to, this is a Buddhist quote. For one who clings, motion exists. But for one who clings not, there is no motion. Where no motion is, there is stillness. Where stillness is, there is no craving. Where no craving is, there is neither coming nor going. Where neither coming nor going is, there is neither arising nor passing away. Where neither arising nor passing away is, there is neither this world nor a world beyond, nor a state between. This, verily, is the end of suffering. So when we're talking about taking responsibility, we're just using a different metaphor, a different image for non-movement. Because it's the movement of trying to justify ourselves that is the movement of clinging. That is the movement of self. That is the movement of thought and me and mine. With not just, with there's no justification, there's no movement. When I'm not trying to wiggle my way out of it, when I'm not trying to blame or to point fingers, when I just own what I've done, not try to alter the fact 
then there's no movement. And there's no sense of becoming. When I justify, I am trying to justify my actions, get out of my actions, blame it on something. When there's no movement, there's no justification, there's no sense of me trying to do anything. It's just the act, the action, the distortion, whatever is in front of me, the difficulty, the pain, and there's just this. Then there's no clinging. The clinging arises when I am fighting or resisting what I have done in terms of justification or irresponsibility. You see? So responsibility really means leaving the mind alone. Leaving the mind alone. Isn't that interesting? I I remember um, I was a monk and I was just kind of going through all the different things that people had told me over the years about how to practice like let's see if I can find them I wrote some of them down watching without interference non-judging being ourselves understanding leaving alone allowing things to be the way they are harmonizing with the way things are on and on and on and it suddenly dawned on me that all of those were pointing to leaving the mind alone. I mean, none of them said, go in and change your judgment to non-judgment. And there was none of that. It was just, just be aware. Just be watchful. Be aware. Just be aware. Non-judging, allowance, non-interference. Just allowing the mind to be itself. It's when we get in there and we say, okay, this part of the mind, I don't, that's no good. This one over here, this is, it's when we get in there and we start creating the friction between the pieces that the whole thing begins to rub and break down. When it's just running, it's just running. It thinks, among other things, but it's just doing it. It's not, what's it doing? Now you say, well, I've been leaving my mind alone my whole life. And look where it's gotten me. <laughs> well, we haven't been leaving our mind alone our whole life. We've been in there kicking ourselves our whole life. That's not what I mean. I mean, take ourselves out of it. Take ourselves out of the equation of it. Just be watchful. Just be aware. So the whole thing is infiltrated with awareness, which doesn't interfere with anything. Like the air doesn't interfere with your movement. It doesn't do anything. It just notices it. That's all it does. It just knows it. Then, there's no movement. Meaning, the mind may move, but there's no friction in relationship to some person arising who counters that movement with its own direction, his or her own direction. And so the whole of the Dharma unfolds around that word responsibility. And we start with it just being easy, just breathing, 
just noticing what we're feeling. And all of the skillful means that we try to apply are just ways for us to come out of this entrapment that we seem to feel being encased in the mind so that we can leave it alone. And we bring you multiple array of skillful means, but really just leaving ourselves alone. Not to be unskillful in action because unskillfulness and unethical and immoral behavior arises when we don't leave ourselves alone. That's the point. Wholeness comes forth when we leave ourselves alone and total responsibility. Which means what? We're not looking away from what's occurring. It's just this and nothing else. So can we sit for a minute or two?